tragedies are commonplace. All kinds of diseases people are slipping away. The economy's down. People can't get no But as for me, all I can say is thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. Folk without homes, people living in the streets, drug habits, some say can't be there are muggers and robbers, no place Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for all you have done for me. Saints of God, are you ready for the word? Amen. Let us turn to the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah. The first chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Thanks to God, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. Starting at verse 1, you will find these words. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. 
The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept, and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Today, saints of God, I want to talk with you in a series of lessons on leadership that it all begins with prayer. That it all begins with prayer. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, when we started this series, amen, we went back to the root of a problem that is now a reality in Judah at the time of the life of Nehemiah. We went back and we talked about how God said to Solomon because he connected himself with idols and he brought in pagan gods that God said, I will rip the kingdom from you. We went back to find out that it did not happen in Solomon's life, but it was on its way just another generation away in his son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam was a difficult child, a child that would not listen to the elder's wisdom. So he made some tragic mistakes as it related to the kingdom of Israel so tragic that it caused the kingdom to split. Not only did they split geographically, but they split relationally. No longer did the 12 tribes intermingle with one another in harmony, but now 10 were enemies of two. It was a sad state because these are relatives, but they just can't get along. We find that in this separation, in this division, because that's how sin gets in, amen. Sin will start to build upon division, amen. That's why you must be careful, saints of God, to not be a divided church. Because in that division, Satan gets place. Uh, we were seeing in our Bible study lesson, amen, on Friday night, amen, in Ephesians chapter 4, around verse 27, amen, it says, do not give place to the devil. See, the devil gets a place when we hold on to something that's sinful. No matter what it is, amen, when it is sin and we hold on to it, it's like we open the door up and say, come on in, Satan, and have your way. Even if we think we're justified in it, if it's something that God has commanded us not to do, we cause a breach in our wall that the enemy can come on in. But we found that the, the kingdom's walls had been burned. Amen. And if you will be honest and I'll be honest, our walls have been burned. Amen. There are some chinks, there are some spots, there are some areas that need to be repaired. Amen. And God is just the person to do it. But you know God is a gentleman. He won't force anything on you. Amen. If you ask, then it shall be given. Amen. But if you don't ask, then God is not going to force himself on us. 
He says in another place, we have not because we ask not. But saints of God, we must realize this reality of our need for God, our need for the rebuilding of our walls that have been broken down. Every one of us are, are, are in a place where we have been victims of a sinful world. And we are not, uh, if you will, inoculated from this world. We are not those who do not end up with collateral damage from the things that go on in this world. Some of us have gone through relationship separation, divorce, amen. We have been mistreated, amen. We have been looked over, we've been marginalized, we've been dejected, we've been cussed at, we've been fussed at, we've been stolen from. Some of us have, may have lost loved ones to death through murder. There's a lot of reasons why we're damaged, amen. There's a lot of reasons, but God is here as that wonderful and miraculous healer that's able to fix them places where we have been broken. Even though Israel at this point is in dire situations, amen, God has, has God so prophesied that the, 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 the northern kingdom, amen, will be no more. By 722 B.C., the Assyrians had come in and destroyed them had plucked them out uh, uh, like, like splinters and moved them from place to place and then inserted folks from other nations so that that nation would have its identity no more. But at that time, down in the southern kingdom, some snickered. They were happy that they survived that very catastrophic event of the Israelis above, but they believed they were saved because there was something better about them than it was about the northern kingdom. But God sent his prophets once again and prophesied to them and let them know, no, you're not any better than Israel. You're not any better than the northern kingdom. You are just saved because of my grace. I have showed you it wasn't by your weapons, but it was by my power. And saints of God, if we are in any place, living any place of comfort, any place of security, it's not because of us, but it's all because of God. The biggest mistake we can ever make is to start reading our own clippings and to start to believe that we're doing something on our own. <laughs> because without God, John chapter 15 verse 5 says we can do nothing. And when he says nothing, he means absolutely nothing. Amen. If it was not for God, every time we breathe in and breathe out, it would all be over. Amen. It don't start at the big things. It starts at the small. But it starts at the fundamental things that life is built on. Because the Bible says back in Genesis, it says that when God formed man, he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. It's by God's resources that our life exists. Christ is our life. So in this, this, this dismay, in this discord, now the nation of Israel in the northern kingdom has been destroyed in 722 BC, but right by the time that they thought things were going all right, they went along for another hundred years, and before they know it in 586 B.C., here comes the Babylonians. Here comes the Babylonians to carry off the tribes of Judah and Benjamin as well into captivity. The Bible says their walls were burned, that the, the temple was torn down. Destruction was everywhere. 
We also find out from the book of Daniel that they took the choice people from Jerusalem, took the choice people from Judah. Because if you remember your Bible studies in Daniel, it talks about Daniel himself, which was one of the choice. Also Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. But it also talks about how they took the, Nebuchadnezzar took the choice ones and tried to feed them the king's meat. So, what we find is in this text that when Nehemiah finds out that there is a remnant, the remnant that's left behind are those who weren't choice to the king. There were folks there that may have been crippled and halt and blind and sick. And here those people who needed help from others, amen, are now in a desolate place on a place where things are torn down. And I don't know about you, but in some aspect of my life, I end up in desolate places in need of help from somebody else. And the good thing is that Jesus Christ never forgets about you. He never not knows where you are. And he's always ready and willing to supply your need. He has all kind of ways to do it, but you just got to trust him. So we got the situation now where the walls are burned and we've, we've got the situation where the folks have been taken away. People have now uh, 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 languished in the, in the arena of Jerusalem and Judea with all of the destruction and desolation for years. Years have gone by without any rebuilding. When we start to think about our lives, there are some things that happen that it seems like they'll never be rebuilt. Things like, seems like this is going to always be this way. But you can never give up on God. Never give up on God in any situation in your life. Because God can do the exceeding, the abundant, above anything we could ever ask or think. So when you counted somebody out that you believe they never will, don't forget God. When you counted out some destination or some promotion or some place that you wanted to be that seems like it just is not going to come, don't forget God. Sometimes it's, 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 it's discord being absent from your home or, or problems with your children, amen. When it seems like for year after year, it seems to be getting worse. I contend today to don't forget God. Because when you realize that God is there, that he is able to fix what is broke. You know, I found in my life on multiple occasions that I have worried over and I have worried with stuff that I could have gotten away from a long time earlier if I just had to talk to the Lord about it. Too long did I strangle with it and try to figure out how to deal with it myself and putting all of the, the worldly knowledge I have at my disposal to try to figure it out and fix it. When God had already set it up that it was going to be something he had to fix. And it was when I turned to the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't know how this is going to get fixed. I don't know when or where, but Lord, I'm bringing this to you. Lord, and you got to do it because I can't do it on my own. I don't have the ability, the knowledge, or the power, and that's when God steps in. Because God is strong when we are weak. But when we are strong, we push God out of the way. But remember, he is a gentleman. He could do it, but he decides, if you don't want it, I ain't going to give it. 
Amen. Amen. He talks to us in the word of God all the time. He said, if my people called by my name would humble themselves and pray. See, there was some prerequisites to the healing of the land. He said they needed to humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. He said, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. See, God has said, you have not because you ask not. There are some huge issues, amen, corporately as our church, amen, and individually in our lives, amen, that it just might be we're still dealing with them on a monumental scale because we haven't asked God yet. We haven't asked God. We're just kind of bumbling around with it ourselves. And God's standing and looking at us and sitting on his throne saying, oh, child, when are you going to talk to me? When are you going to talk to me about it? I got the answer. I'm ready to move it, but I'm not going to do it until you ask me. But isn't it good to know that all we got to do is ask him? We don't have to come with no uh, five-year business plan. Amen. We don't have to come with the totality of our 401ks and our savings accounts. We don't have to come with our mortgage. We don't have to come and get, and get a title deed loan or nothing like that. All we got to do is ask the Lord. But sometimes it gets so hard to ask the Lord. <laughs> And that's how we get in the situation similar to what Israel has done. Israel has gotten themselves so far away from God because they stopped talking to God. We found out on a couple weeks ago that the northern kingdom had set up new idolatrous places to worship in Bethel and in Dan. That don't look like they asked God nothing, does it? But Judah wasn't all that much better. Hey, they were still in Jerusalem, but they had prostitutes on the backside of the temple. But they snickered at Israel, amen, but they were treacherous Judah. So any of us at any one time can be out of the will of God. So we have no reason to look down our nose at anybody else, amen. And that's part of being a leader. reason why I say this is because Nehemiah was such a leader. And here's a leader that we can learn about leadership. In the midst of times that call that try men's souls that we are equipped just like Nehemiah to take on the task because one of the things that Nehemiah does for us is take off a lot of the excuses that we might have sometimes we might have excuses like this well I'm not a prophet I mean I'm not an Elijah I'm not a Jeremiah well neither was Nehemiah Nowhere in this book will you find that he was a prophet. Nowhere in this book that you'll find that he's an apostle. No, he's a believer. He's trusting in God. So it lets us know that he's just like all of us. No special gifting except he's gifted by God. And I want to tell every one of you in this place that you are all gifted by God. Every one of us has at least one gift that God has given us to carry out the purpose that he has for us in our lives. He's called us out and set us on a purpose in life to, be, to make a difference. 
in at least one other person's life. Amen? And that's leadership. Sometimes we can believe that leadership is, is relegated or is, is set aside for just the associate ministers, the pastors, maybe even the ministry heads. But I contend with you today that leadership goes to every baptized, born-again believer. Nehemiah wasn't some, some, some priest in uh, Jerusalem. Nehemiah wasn't some auxiliary leader at the Jerusalem temple. Guess what Nehemiah was? Nehemiah was in a pagan land. When you look at the text, it says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, I was in Shushan, the citadel. Now, let me unpack this a bit for you. First of all, it is the month of Chislev. On our calendar, that would equate to December. So it's wintertime. It's wintertime, it's cold and it's frosty, amen? And it's in the 20th year. The 20th year of what? The 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes of Persia. He says, I'm at Shushan, the citadel. He's at the king's palace. Here is a Jew that's 800 miles away from Jerusalem. 800 miles away from his homeland in Persia at the palace of the Persian king. And it's the 20th year of the reign of that king. Nehemiah has every reason to say, well, I heard about what happened down in Jerusalem. Okay. But what can I do? I'm here at the palace. Let me keep doing what I do. Let me keep doing what my job is here and deal with the things of Persia because I can't do nothing for Jerusalem. But that's not what this leader did. did Let's look at the text. It says that Hananiah, one of my brethren, Hananiah being one of his actual biological siblings, Amen. Came with the men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Let me bring some other points up about what's going on here. We see that Nehemiah had already heard of the destruction at Jerusalem. He'd already heard about the exile. He already heard about what went on at Jerusalem. He knows that the Babylonians had now captured his brethren, if you will, the Judeans. He knows about this. Amen. But he could have turned a blind eye. He could have said, yeah, I know about it, but you know, that, that's all I want to know. Because if I, if I have to ask anything, then that's going to put something on my plate. If, if I really start to ask about it now, I've got responsibility. See, sometimes we may put a blinded eye to stuff because we really don't want to get involved. We know it's going to be heavy. We know it's going to be hard. So we kind of hear about it, but we don't want to talk too much about it or inquire too much on it because that puts responsibility on our plates. But I contend with you again and again that because we are baptized, born-again believers of Jesus Christ, the responsibility is there anyway. 
From the very beginning, God has left us here to be ambassadors to a dark and dismal world. He's left us to be tour guides to allow folks to realize what it means to be a child of God. And sometimes that work of leading is a dangerous and dirty thing. Sometimes it ain't no fun, amen. But he didn't leave us for fun. Do you think it was fun that Jesus Christ died on the cross? Do you think it was fun when his own disciples turned against him? Do you think it was fun when they whipped him all night long? No, it wasn't, but it was necessary. And God leaves us here in the muck and mire of this present world to be ambassadors, to be tour guides, to get dirty because it's necessary. So Nehemiah inquires of, of what's going on in Jerusalem. And he gets the bad news that, that the ones that remain are in great distress and, and reproach. Folk laughing at them and talking about them. Amen. And, and they are there and they don't know what to do. They're in great distress. I can imagine those who are sick and blind and all, those who were left behind that didn't have the choice skills that Nehemiah, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar took off to Babylon. They don't have hammers. They don't have the stuff they need to try to rebuild. They don't have resources. And folk are laughing at them and saying, look at them. Look at them bumbling idiots out there. It's better you than me. They just talking about them, taunting them, and they can do nothing about it. But here comes a leader. Here comes one man who inquires about the ills of a people. There's another lesson here for you and I, and that is, it don't take no army to do something for the Lord. It just takes one of us who says, you know what? This is an issue that needs to be dealt with, and by the power of the Lord, I'm going to do what I can to make a difference. I don't believe Nehemiah knew all of what was going to happen in his work with Jerusalem at this point. All he knew at this point that his people were in distress. It starts with inquiring. It starts with trying to find out how somebody else's life is going, especially when you know that their walls have been torn down. That's where it starts for us as believers, amen. And so when we look at the text, we see that, that they told him about how things were are in reproach and all of this distress and Look how he responded. He said, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. One of the biggest problems I believe that we have today in the universal church, amen, especially in countries that are full of wealth, is that we can get apathetic to the problems of the outward society, the society of a whole. We get to the point that it's kind of me, my four, and no more. But that's not what God is calling us for. God is calling us to reach out beyond just our concerns, amen. Because he's given us everything we need to excel even not only in our own concerns, but that which is without. Nehemiah had the same things that we would have today. They say, well, you know what? I'm just too busy to do that. I, I got too much on my plate. I don't have time to fool with Jerusalem. I mean, I got to go to work. I got, man, I'm working 50 hours a week. I can't do this. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I'm sad for them, but 
I, I got to handle my own. I mean, I got this, I got that. Nehemiah can say that. Look where he is. He's 800 miles away from Jerusalem. We, only, we can be eight miles from something and say we're too busy. He's 800 miles. Not only that, in the text, and we'll find out later, and I'm going to bring that up right now, is that at the end of chapter 1, he says something that's very important. At the end of his prayer in chapter 1, verse 11, he says, For I was the king's cupbearer. That's huge. Because what he's saying now, I was the man who every time the king got ready to drink, or every time the king got ready to eat, I ate and I drank first. So every day, at least three times a day, amen, he had to be right there with the king. If the king got thirsty in the middle of the night, amen, he had to be there to test before the king got it. If it was early in the morning, if it was in the middle of the day, it did not matter. His job was to be there and make sure that nobody could poison the king. So you think we're busy? Imagine his job. Amen. All times of night. At least we can go home from our job. His job was all the time. Anytime the king, he was the cup bearer. But even in that, he was willing to have a heart for his people who was 800 miles away. So if Nehemiah could do that, a leader, watch, not a prophet, not a priest, but just a believer. Can that work for you and I? Because we're believers, amen. Nothing special, amen, other than knowing the Christ, just like him. But he began to weep. He began to fast and pray because he cared. Some of the things that we as believers need to work on today is caring again. We, we, we've got complacent and we've got to where our hearts are just kind of apathetic about the needs and the desires. We, we've got to get a new burning desire about the ills of the world and the opportunity to share the gospel with those who are hurting. This is where we are, y'all. And there's a monumental work, but it only takes one body. You don't have to wait on a whole army before you begin because the army is in you. We found in the eighth chapter of Romans, if God be for you, who can be against you? That we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. But you have to make that decision. Amen. That I'm going to carve out some place in my life that I can be, make a difference in somebody else's. I'm going to find some places on my schedule, if it's just an hour of a, of a week, that somewhere I've got to find a place to now be who Christ has called me to be, to be a change agent in the society. That's who Nehemiah was. Nehemiah was a believer who had a caring heart. And it started with prayer. 
This chapter, as we study this a little more, we find that he prayed to God about the ills and what was needed. Amen. He dealt with his own infirmities. He dealt with his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of his fathers and of his people to get ready to be in a position to receive construction from the Lord so that he could find out what it is he needs to do to make a difference. So the saints of God, as I close right now, the thing that I challenge us to do, all of us together as New Zion, amen, we ought to start praying to the Lord that he fix our hearts to be hearts of care. Hearts that care about the issues of life so that it compels us to move without waiting for somebody else. Every one of us is a leader. Nehemiah didn't wait on the prophets to come. Nehemiah could have waited on Ezra, but he didn't. Ezra was a prophet at that time, but that's not what his concern was with. His concern was with the concern and the compassion toward his people and being a blessing to his people by the power of his God. And that's what we ought to be all about. So this is a time now that we ought to begin this road to leadership. New Zion has all the potential of being a great church with great ministry, with just the folks that we have here right now. It does not take a lot of people. It just takes somebody who cares. Because when we get through looking at Nehemiah, we're going to see how God can use one man to do things that armies could not do. And God will use you and I one at a time to do things to change this world, to change the people in this world for the Christ that his kingdom be built in more miraculous ways than you could ever imagine. But you just got to believe and ask the Lord to give you a heart that cares, that really cares about the ills of this world that compel us to move in a direction of ministry that we might carry out the mission of sharing the gospel with men, women, boys, and girls that they may know the reality of serving a true and living God. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, Lord, we come to you once again to say thank you, Lord. Lord, we're dealing with your word right now, Master. Lord, we want to slow down and we want to make sure that we understand your commandments and your desires for us. That we understand the tools that you have given us, oh God. One by one, that we might be change agents in our society. Give us a heart, oh God, for missions. Give us a heart for ministry, oh God. That we will look at the ills of this world and not just say, mm, 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 that's sad to hear, but what can I do? Here am I, Lord, send me. That we might be the Nehemiahs of our generation. Just simple, baptized, born-again believers that believe in the power of God, that realize that if you are for us, the world against us has no hope. That we must go out and we must reach for those who are languishing in lostness and all kinds of addictions, oh God. Lord, that we might be those people that when the great coronation comes and those enter into the kingdom, that we might see some folk that weren't saved during our time with them, but got saved and come and say, thank you for talking to me when, when I was down and out. Thank you for talking with me when my mouth was dirty. Thank you when I smelled and reeked of urine. Thank you when I didn't have a place to stay. Thank you 
for taking out a little time to be with me when I was in need. That is our goal is to get that heart of compassion. And Lord, I as our family as a whole, Lord, we need you to work in us in this way. Lord, we know that we're not where we ought to be yet, Master, but we know that you can get us there. So we ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 And at this time, we're going to open up the doors of the church because there just may be somebody here. Amen. You never know that has been around the church but never let the church inside of them. So today we say, come and let the Lord do in you what you cannot do for yourself. He can change you and he can make you brand new. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so the doors of the church are open. You can come just as you are. Amen. There is room at the cross for you. There is room at the cross for you. All the millions have come. Oh! 